Hello, welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we have our DFS edition of the pod. Hope you guys enjoyed that Bengals-Jaguars game last night. We don't know what happened yet because we're recording this Thursday afternoon. I can only assume that Auden Tate went the hell off too. Maybe three touchdowns you could imagine. Joined, as always, on this edition of the podcast by Sir Andrew Erickson, PFF analyst, all-around baller, noted Josh Gordon and Patriots Stan. Andrew, happy week four, man. Yeah, man. Joe Mixon was absolutely electric last night. Just, you know, I love Joe Mixon, but yeah, dude, I'm ready for some more DFS action. I know that uh, Justin Fields really, really let us down last week, which is unfortunate, but Hey, it happens. You know, it was basically the worst outcome we could potentially look for with Justin Fields. We thought he at least would have a steady floor with the rushing, but you know, Matt Nagy had other ideas. That's why it's important to remember when we're going over this, people. In cash games, sometimes I didn't get an exact read on what Fields' uh, percentage ended up being. But sometimes eating the chalk and cash does make sense because we all pick Fields. We all lost. Doesn't really matter with the rest of the lineup. Tournaments are where that absolutely screws you. And now you're with the, you know, 20% of the field also just, you know, rolling around in the garbage that is not cashing at all. So as always on this podcast, we will go over both strategies, trying to set that cash lineup that gets you the highest floor, trying to win a head to head, trying to win a 50, 50, just trying to basically cement the highest floor possible. And of course our GPP tournament strategy, trying to take down that Millie maker beat over a hundred thousand people. Got to be a little bit contrarian to do so. So Andrew, we will kick things off with the cash side of things. You like Dak Prescott as someone to build your lineup around this week. I do like Dak Prescott. I think that he's just very underpriced. Just He's at 6,700, and that kind of stands out to me because I look at this guy. He's thrown three touchdowns in two of his three games played this year, plays on a really good offense, and I guess I'm just kind of perplexed a little bit based on the matchup. I know the Carolina Panthers have played really well on defense, but they've also played not really great offenses. They haven't really been tested by a real signal caller. So I'm, I'm not ready to just quite crown them. The, you know, the Washington football team defense of last year of this, this just elite unit that came out and is going to be able to stop this Dallas Cowboys offense. Cause I, I really don't think that a lot of defenses can stop this Dallas Cowboys offense. Dak has been fourth in expected fantasy points per game so far this year. And so he's kind of underperformed based on expectations. He still has CD lamb and Amari Cooper at his disposal, both who I think are also like vastly underpriced. And we just saw the Panthers had trade for CJ Henderson, who's one of PFF's worst graded quarterbacks this year instead, because they lost JC Horn, who allowed the league's third lowest pass rating when targeted in coverage this year. So like that makes a big difference. Um, I know the Panthers defense has been really good, but they just lost a really key part to their defense. You miss one cornerback and that makes a huge difference because it shifts the hierarchy of where players need to play in the offense or in the defense so I, I think Dak is just really in a good spot and Sam Darnold has shown us enough on the other side that he can at least be functional in a shootout environment like that's why this game is a high total because Carolina can score points hopefully with Darnold at the helm PFF's 10th highest graded passer so far 22 fantasy points per game and I think it's going to make Dallas at least have to continue to press the narrative and keep the pedal to the metal and keep you to score points. It is funny that everyone's been quick to say Darnold great start, but look at the schedule and on the defensive side of the ball, we're just kind of like, Oh, Brian Burns and company are now just complete world beaters, even though they faced off against Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston and Davis Mills. 
all good points. I guess my concern with Dak, and it doesn't matter if we do get the shootout where he's throwing the ball all over the yard, but just 19 rushing yards through three weeks. Like last year, he averaged 18.6 rushing yards per game. We're not really seeing the same sort of read option Dak trying to get find his way into the end zone. I mean, over the past few years, like Dak Prescott was the one quarterback where it could be third and 11 and like he sees a linebacker five yards short of the first down. He would try to lower his shoulder and get there. And rightfully, he's changed his style of play after the injury. All that money in the bank account now. I get why they want to keep him healthy. Availability, best availability, all that. I do just wonder if that floor is high enough. And that has me wanting to pay up a little bit here, Andrew. Again, I see the path to Dak and having Cooper and CeeDee Lamb to stack with. You're getting the majority of his production. Question is, you know, where is he going to have the pass attempts? Tampa Bay, he had 58 last two weeks, 27 and 26. Hopefully, and I'm with you, Darnold is enough of a baller to uh, keep this, you know, into the shootout territory, get those pass attempts up. I want to go up higher, though, and get Josh Allen and probably the best spot of the week against the Texans. I know for a lot of quarterbacks, we don't necessarily want to target teams that are two touchdown favorites because, you know, we expect extremely positive game script running backs taking over. This is the Buffalo bills. This is a bills offense that like you look back in that Miami game, they went 35, nothing. It was 28, nothing in the fourth quarter. And Josh is still out there throwing yellow balls and trying to run his way into the end zone. They're just a different offense with how much they pass. And I think despite the blowout nature of this game, like for Josh to be sitting back at the end of the game, he's going to have to put up a hell of a lot of points first to be in that position in the first place. So, you know, last week, in a game against Washington where they're up 13 and a half and the game was over shortly into the fourth, he still had 43 pass attempts and four rushes. So I think Josh just gives you more guaranteed fantasy friendly volume, than just about anyone. And almost more importantly, Andrew gets us on Stefan Diggs, who I just, if you want to talk about, you know, inevitable blow up weeks, I can't think of a better, you know, case study than uh, um, Stefan Diggs. And, you know, looking at this Bill's offense, as I'm kind of, talking about the stack we're going with in the cash game. It is cool where, yes, Josh Allen costs more. He costs 8K and Dak is cheaper. But when you also consider getting Dak, you got to get Cooper and CD. Like Josh's two top top two pass game weapons are cheaper, I think, comparatively because we can go all the way down to the low 5K range to get Emmanuel Sanders. I think Beasley might even be under 5K. We got Dawson Knox sitting there at like 3,600 or whatever. So for Josh, he's expensive and Diggs is expensive. But the fact that the rest of the guys are so cheap i do think helps them be a little bit more affordable overall andrew i know you're at least on a similar wavelength as me because you got josh allen as one of your favorite gpp quarterbacks but please for the love of god tell the people why you want anything to do with jacoby Brissett this week jacoby Brissett, uh he runs the football uh he had 37 rushing yards last week he rushed seven times had six scrambles and again it goes with this uh selective bias by us in the fantasy community where we pick and choose which Russian quarterbacks we like, and we don't like certain ones. And if they're backups or, you know, not the sexy names and Daniel Jones or whatever, we don't like to play them, but you know, Jacoby Brissett is a mobile quarterback and no one wants to talk about how he's facing. It's a revenge game. Number one against Indianapolis Colts. And number two, they've allowed the highest touchdown rate of any defense so far this year. So I look at Jacoby Brissett. I'm like, Hey, he's down at 5,100. Like, basically bottom barrel in terms of the quarterback position. You can jam in a ton of studs using this type of format with Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback. And last week he was fourth in total expected fantasy points scored. It was 25 and his actual output wasn't even that bad. He scored 18 fantasy points. Now I know a little boost from overtime helped a lot, but 
most of his production didn't come till later in the game anyway. And he didn't really do that much to start the game. So I think he was still getting acclimated to being the starter in the new offense with new weapons around him, but he fed a bunch of these talented receivers. I mean, Miami's got talent at the receiver position. They have Waddle, they have Fuller, they had Devontae Parker. He got Mike Gusecki back involved. He's got Miles Gaskin out of the backfield. So yes, the, and the offensive line is, is trash. Like he has to run and make plays with his feet. So look, you know, Justin Fields was kind of like a play like this last, last week, but we didn't even see Justin Fields play. Like he was kind of basically coming in cold. We didn't know what to expect. I feel like I know what to expect a little bit more with Jacoby Brissett based on just what I saw last week. The matchup is not, I'm not, you know, fearsome of the, or I'm not feared by this Colts defense with Jacoby Brissett. So I think that he's really, really interesting, whether it's like a two quarterback league you're playing in or, or in DFS purposes. I mean, he's going to be extremely low rostered, but it would not surprise me at all to see him eclipse 20 fantasy points. I mean, he almost did it last week um, and he should have done it based on, you know, the expected fantasy output, you know, will Fuller catches that touchdown. You know, maybe we're talking about percent much more highly going into this week. I don't see as much like value kind of in the lower 4k range at running back the 3k range at wide receiver this week compared to past ones. I know you got a couple of darts at tight end you like, but I think this could be the week we're getting down at quarterback actually could help you in tournaments, get up to some of these other guys that we want. I mean, there's digs, there's, there's like three or four guys I'm sure we'll get to throughout this that just are in those, you know, quote unquote, inevitable blow up spots and having someone like Jacoby waddles only 4,900 to only 4,000 and we can you know feel pretty good about that in tournaments because of the rest of the way it opens up the lineup so from that standpoint i'm with you i think you could also talk yourself into some of these other guys i mean justin fields if he gets the nod like please for the love of god matt Nagy, you give the guy a road spot against miles garrett and the browns and then you don't even give him the confidence to go play against the lions at home like geez man just give him a break for once what is he gonna you know not start him against the lions then week 12 when he gives him a decent matchup be like oh the funniest thing happened like we gave justin more time under center in a real game situation and he looked better i mean that that press conference coach has pissed me off so much andrew because I try to go out of my way on this show to explain how NFL coaches are so much smarter than us. And they truly, even the ones that we mock routinely know more about football and their little finger that we probably will their whole life. And for Nagy to come out and say, Oh, fields. Now he's with the first team. We're finding out all these new things about him. Doesn't help that cause. But that aside, I do think we should like a good quarterback head coach combo. And that is over in LA with Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Everyone's on Robert Woods bouncing back this week. Cooper Cup stays Cooper Cupping and is just the best wide receiver alive, apparently. We get a Cardinals secondary that, hey, looked pretty great against the Titans in week one. But as we found out when Chandler Jones, you know, isn't getting five sacks per game and when Trevor Lawrence isn't throwing hellacious flea flicker interceptions, the group can be taken down uh, a peg or two. So with Stafford, I mean, this is last week, he was able to put up good numbers, but I think we were all expecting almost more, almost more if the Buccaneers could have kept that game a little more competitive like we're starting to get into these nfc west shootouts and you know kyler going against the rams he's an option every single week but going down a little bit to stafford we know we have the targets condensed around cup with a nice bounce back for woods i do like the ram stack in gpps this week and i think the same applies for Kirk cousins jefferson and Thielen. you know in this browns game once again we're just looking for these quarterbacks that aren't necessarily in run first offenses but that might need the extra nudge to really get the volume up there when we have these high total games well into the 50s those are spots we should feel a little bit better about socks from running backs now andrew you want to go up to the big dog derrick henry and cash this week and then also grab Najee harris and deandre swift who are a little bit cheaper i guess my question for you 
why go all the way up to Henry when we do have these 6K guys and even Sony Michelle at 5,200, depending on Henderson uh, status? Like, why go all the way up to Henry this week when we can actually find guys with similar touch counts a bit cheaper? Wait, there are, there are guys that are going to get 40 touches in, in, okay. in other rates. <laughs> Not similar I, I mean, with reduced I, price I mean, relative. He's playing the New York Jets and they don't have any wide receiver. I, I just, look, I, I just don't want to spend my Sunday late, you know, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., you know, buried by Derek freaking Henry because I think that's what's going to happen here. Look, they're playing the New York Jets who've allowed the third most fantasy points to running backs. It's a massive, you know, favorite towards the Tennessee Titans because they should they should roll in this matchup. Derrick Henry's on pace for like 63 receptions this year. So even if things go astray, you know, he's getting more involved in the passing game, which I absolutely love to see. And I just think that how are they going to go? What else? What are they going to do on offense if Julio Jones and AJ Brown don't play? Like what's going to be the, oh, okay. Hand off. Oh, it's going to be up the middle to Derrick Henry. And okay. it's going to be, people are going to, it happens every single year, every single game when Derrick Henry's going to have like 50 rushing yards in the first half and be like, oh, well, told you, you should have faded Derrick Henry, told you. And then fourth quarter comes around. I was like, oh wait, now he has 200 rushing yards because that's what he always freaking does in these types of matchups. So I, I think that there's enough wiggle room with salary where you can pay up to get up to Derrick Henry. I just think that this is a spot where you want to play him. Look, it's against when he plays teams like the Jets, like the Jaguars, like these are the matchups where he just goes off and he didn't really fire that much last week after his massive week two performance. But I think he kind of ran kind of bad. He just didn't get the touchdowns. Um, he still almost eclipsed. I think he was actually over a hundred yards. So uh, for me, I just don't think it's, I don't want to overthink it. I'm paying up for the big dog because I just don't want to get buried. And I think that's what he's going to do to people that it's like when you did like decide not to play Christian McCaffrey, it's like, okay, like you don't have to pay him. Like, thanks for paying the rake. Appreciate it. And I just think that's what's going to happen. If you don't play Derek Henry, I mean, he's playing the Jets. Like what's like, what am I missing here? I, I get like, that there are some plays you can get, you know, by paying down a little bit more, but you know, he's literally had 40 touches in one game. Like, <laughs> I just, yeah. So that's why I'm going to go with Derek Henry. Okay. You, one, first of all, you're right. Second of all, I have gone through my cast lineup again and figured out a way how to get Henry in there. <laughs> so now I'm on the same page with you. We'll get off of Najee. I think if, if, unless you want to go really cheap somewhere, I think there's enough value in that 5k range. Like again, if I want to go Allen Diggs, you can't get Henry. You can go down to Mike Davis, who despite everyone and their mother hyping up Cordero Patterson, as we should. Great player. I've been doing it for five years. Mike Davis does remain the single, you know, guy in the backfield projected for the most touches. And as bad as this Falcons offense has been looking this season, Washington football team defense, not exactly being much better. So, okay. I think that's fair. If you want to go up to Henry, you just got to go down a little bit to running back. Having Michelle, having Davis in that low 5K range does, I think, make it possible. If you don't want to go all the way up, then I think that's where Najee Harris, 6,800. Maybe not getting 19 targets every single week, but we can cut that in half and still be fine with it. Uh, DeAndre Swift getting the coach speak, which he doesn't even need, man. He's already the PPR RB3, and they're saying getting him more touches. Great. I can't complain. Um, I would just know I, I see this kind of, you know, the week three victory laps are running rampant in our uh, fantasy industry. We got people, you know, talking, oh, hey, look at uh, why zero RB is so great. And we have, uh, you know, 
Tony Pollard and Jamal Williams and these guys popping up. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, robust RB is great. Look at the percentage of RB1s that were drafted in the first two rounds. You know, Andrew, like, why don't we all just pick the best players that wouldn't get injured? Like, shouldn't that have been our strategy in August? Just uh, pick the best guys that we know in the future won't get hurt. Just chill out a little bit, people. And also this idea that talent, like, is always going to win out. I don't know that talent has necessarily worn out in Detroit. DeAndre Swift is pretty much splitting touches with Jamal Williams. Luckily, there's no other receivers to throw the ball to, and this team's trailing every freaking game, so we get all the comeback work that we could dream of. You know, in Carolina, talent worn out. DJ Moore rose to the top of the depth chart. What the hell happened to Brandon Ayuk in San Francisco, though? So, you know, when we're kind of cherry-picking one or two situations to try to prove our argument – it's fine to use some examples, but maybe don't make it as all-encompassing as uh, some folks want it to be out there. Andrew, I think we kind of got the cash running backs down. GPP, though, I like Mike Davis, and I like David Montgomery. I like this whole Bears offense in a bounce-back spot. So we'll see how Montgomery's kind of roster ship evens out. I guess I'm intrigued to see will people really be on Chuba Hubbard for just a hundred more in that Cowboys matchup? Because right now, you know, it's always tough to see with the uh, roster projections this early in the week, exactly how things are going to shake out over on PFF.com. We have David Montgomery getting just 2.5%. So, Hey, if he's going to stay that low, man, that's a great tournament pick. Yeah, because- I think I like a lot of, a lot of people go crazy for like the waiver wire guy. Like yeah, the, exactly. the waiver wire seasonal players always get pretty high roster ship the first week in DFS. Cause they're kind of like the hot button topics. Like, Oh, you got to play Chuba Hubbard. And then it's, it's interesting. You brought up Montgomery. Cause that's exactly what I wrote about in the DFS cheat sheet. I was like, like, yeah, I think Hubbard's like in a pretty good spot, but if I could pay a hundred dollars left and just play Dave Montgomery, who I know is a bell cow and you know, could we see more? I, mean, I, I don't think Royce Freeman is going to be as involved, but I, I could be wrong. And I, but I know that Dave Montgomery is the bell cow and he's playing the Detroit lions. So it's the, it's the perfect storm for Montgomery price point wise. Cause he's only a hundred dollars cheaper than Chuba. We got Antonio Gibson in Atlanta, you know, in a great spot there at 6,100 expecting him to be almost 13% rostered. Then we even got Clyde Edwards Lair and Chase Edmonds a little bit lower. So everyone's so sick about Montgomery when the wild thing is, and Dwayne and I talked about this on our uh, game by game breakdown pod Montgomery in week one played like 60% of the snaps. And we saw Damian Williams really involved as a pass catcher. And that's worrisome. We can still have Montgomery be a fine upside RB2, like a Gibson, like a Jonathan Taylor, without a bunch of the pass work. But that's really changed. Like last week, he was dominating over 80% snaps. He legit had like a Saquon Barkley-esque role. He had the same role that he had last year at the end of the year when he was a consistent top five back. So Montgomery at home against the Lions defense that hasn't done anything. I think he is a great play to get behind in GPPs. Again, keep an eye on that roster ship as the weekend gets closer, but I think he isn't a fan of fantastic spot now andrew you got two other running backs who you know might not be able to have the targets jonathan taylor antonio gibson but hey 15 and 20 touches or 15 to 20 touches jt needs to hit eventually i have lost way too much money over the past two weeks in tournaments trying to think that this was his next big game but andrew could this finally be jonathan taylor week it has to be jonathan taylor week it just has to be again. The guy can only touch the ball so many times inside the 10 yard line and not score a touchdown. Cause that's what he's basically been doing His 10 touches inside the 10 yard line or second only to Derrick Henry. And he's yet to score a touchdown on any of those high value opportunities. So it's going to happen for him. And look, he's had a, a bunch of tough matchups to start the season. Again, people don't like to look at that 
or really pay attention to sort of look at the output. You know, talking about we mentioned like the Carolina Panthers are oh, like they're so good. And you know, Sam Darnold's amazing and this defense is so good. It's like, yeah, but you have to and that's why like defensive matchups are so defensive numbers are so skewed because it's really more or less based on the offensive that the offenses that you've played. Like offense dictates defense for the most part. So I think Taylor is going to be in a better situation at least this week because I think that he has a much softer matchup. Miami's been really bad against running backs, second most fantasy points allowed, third most rushing yards per game allowed running backs, over 120 rushing yards per game. And and Taylor looked good last week in the limited amount of time he got playing when he wasn't, you know, keeping the bench warm for Naeem Hines, you know, 6.4 yards per carry, 3.6 yards after contact per attempt. He was PFF's third highest graded running back last week. He is a good player. And this is these are the players I like to back when they have low roster ship, players that I know are good, not necessarily players that look like they're in a good situation. You know, I really want to back good players with my hard-earned cash and my hard-earned money that I get from being here at, at PFF. So I, I think Jonathan Taylor's in a really good spot. I took the over on his rushing prop, which has now been moved up a little bit uh, from 63 and a half to 69 and a half. So I was glad to get in on it a little bit early. You know, shout out to me. So... <laughs> I think he's in a good spot this week. And like you, I've also kind of been on him, have not reaped the benefits of playing Jonathan Taylor, but he's going to pop off one of these weeks. And it seems like he's in a good spot here. I, th- I really like this Indianapolis Dolphins game. It kind of, it seems like kind of like a sneaky shootout game, just kind of two like middling defenses, two quarterbacks are going to kind of, you know, maybe do some random things. Like you're not really sure what to expect with Jacoby Brissett and Carson Wentz both playing at quarterback. So it should be fun. And I think Jonathan Taylor is is set up for success in this matchup. Yeah, I'm going back to the well. Like, you know, M- Michael Scott, Jeff, no doubt about it, ready to be hurt again here. I think a lot of the same things he said do apply to Mike Davis down there at 5,100 potentially as well. They are the co-leaders in the NFL. 50 touches without a touchdown. The only other guy over 40 is Chase Edmonds at 47. So good points all around. And, yeah, this Miami defense, man, Damon Harris got to 100 yards. Devin Singletary, 13 carries, 82 yards touchdown. Zach Moss, eight carries, two touchdowns. Peyton freaking Barber had 23 carries for 111 yards and a score. Jonathan Taylor, 170 yards, two touchdowns. You all could imagine. Let's get into the wide receivers a little bit here. Now, sticking with my now Derrick Henry included cash lineup. Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs. I need to go cheaper from here. Going up with Derrick Henry doesn't allow me to get up to OBJ at 5,800, who I think makes a lot of sense. Like, why, why under 6,000, man? Jarvis Landry started the year at 6,000 against the freaking Chiefs without OBJ. OBJ is not getting the same love against maybe the single worst pair of cornerbacks in the league right now. And Bashar Breland and Patrick Peterson. I don't get it. Beckham looked great last week. Targets. Freaking matchup, you know, could be a blow up. I think he checks all the boxes there if you can get up to him. If not, though, I think Diggs, Manny Sanders at 4,900, getting all the air yards and someone else you like, Andrew, Corey Davis. Let's take a second to not completely write off this Jets offense. I know they haven't scored a touchdown since week one. Hasn't been good. But man, like as great as Sam Darnold and the Panthers start has been like matchup wise, the exact opposite is true for this Jets team. They got the Panthers in week one who even if Brian Burns and company aren't like the best defense in the world, like they've been playing, like I think we can all agree they've at least, you know, emerged as an average to above average group. Worst case, or they're just pretty damn good. But after that, we get Bill Belichick and then we get a road trip to Denver against Vic Fangio, who has the same sort of, you know, just impossible scheme for a, a rookie quarterback to really get through. This week, Andrew, we got the Tennessee Titans. All wheels go for Corey Davis. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really building my lineups about, around revenge games. It's kind of like my strategy entering this year, or at least this week. It's Corey Davis, you got a revenge game here uh, against the Tennessee Titans. So around third most fantasy points allowed to the position this season. So I think that he's in a really good spot. You know, his if you look at his targets last year or last week, 28% target share, he was a team leader in air yards, 42%. And we saw it wasn't just because, okay, you know, he's just getting more targets. He's just getting more air yards. You know, he saw his routes run per dropback increase substantially. It was at week two, it was at 67%. It was actually less than Elijah Moore. It increased all the way up to 93%. Elijah Moore has not been practicing because of that concussion. So Corey Davis is kind of firmly back into that wide receiver one chair. So I, I like him a lot here in this matchup. Yeah, not having Elijah Moore there hurts, but it's going to help Corey Davis people. And yeah, just couldn't be less scared of that Titans defense. GPP season, some couple cheap guys I like. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones at 3,200. Same things that make for good, make OBJ a good play also apply to him. He actually played more snaps than OBJ last week. We had him at 65%, OBJ 64, Higgins 49%, Anthony Schwartz at 35%. So seems like the Schwartz experiment has at least wore off a little bit. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, not the worst uh, tournament dart throw. Darnell Mooney at 3,900. I think getting behind Justin Fields, potential bounce back spot, makes some sense there. Allen Robinson, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like for me, like depending on where it looks like Montgomery versus Robinson are going, I'll just take kind of the uh, lower owned guy and really go off of that. Um, we talked about, I think Corey Davis applies to really both of them. How about Robbie Anderson though, Andrew? I think this is my favorite tournament receiver of the week. I was happy you came to the same conclusion or at least he made your final cut or so. But basically everyone, I know he's disappointed, but look at the stuff that's going his way. We have a Tournament friendly, boomer bust, basically field stretcher at this point, based on his new role in the offense against the Cowboys defense that has allowed a league high 27 explosive pass plays through three weeks. Matt Rule has talked on multiple occasions since last Thursday night about wanting to get him more involved. Squeaky wheel spot, perhaps. We even got notes that Robbie's staying after practice with Sam Darnold, getting some extra reps there. His target share has nowhere to go but up without Christian McCaffrey in the picture. And, like, he's still the number two here. He's playing more snaps than Terrence Marshall in every single game. Marshall's losing snaps to something named Brandon Zilstra week in and week out. So, Robbie, and honestly, like, Marshall at 4K is a fine play as well. But for me, like everything is going on for DJ Moore. Everything's going on for Cooper Cup. Everyone seems to understand the Robert Woods bounce back for the Rams, but I don't think we're giving Robbie the same sort of credit. Well, I think you just look at the situation where we're looking at this matchup between the Panthers and Dallas Cowboys. And this is something we see all the time when we see the number two wide receiver on a team blow up. It's because the other team has a really good cornerback and they stick them on the number one and the quarterback just doesn't look his way anymore. And that's literally what Dallas has been all year long. Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Devontae Smith. They all had relatively down games compared to their teammates because of Trevon Diggs, who's been really, really good this year. He's one of PFS. He's PFS third highest graded corner. I think he's actually the highest graded cornerback. He's balling. Yeah, yeah. He's playing super well this year. So I imagine he's going to see a lot of DJ Moore. It seems pretty obvious who the alpha in for the Carolina Panthers is, and it is DJ Moore. So we're probably going to see more of Diggs on more than on Robbie Anderson or Terrace Marshall. And, you know, this just ties back to, you know, last year when I buried Brandon cooks here on this podcast, because he put up a goose egg and I just was like, you can't play this guy, like drop him. And that's kind of, how I feel like we're at with Robbie Anderson. We're just like, he has 11 targets in three games. Like Terrace Marshall has more targets than he does in three games. Like what's going on. But 
you have to kind of like take a reset and look at all the things that you pointed out. It's there's literally nothing that could be worse than what has been the last three weeks. Everything is looking up. The situation is better. You know, he's, he's got the coach speak. He's got the quarterback speak. He's everything should work for Robbie Anderson to be a contributing factor in this game. So and they just gave him a big ass contract extension at the end of August. This isn't like he's being phased out of the offense. He is there for a long time. They need this to work out eventually. Right. Exactly. And it's funny that you talked about the, you know, the early victory lapping uh, earlier in the podcast, because, you know, I was off Robbie Anderson, but I'm not going on Twitter and saying like, told you guys, Robbie Anderson was going to be terrible because I know that on a dime in, in one single game, things can switch. Like that's why I don't understand the victory lapping thing at all, because everything changes on a week to week basis. Like one week, it looks like you won a trade. And then the next week it looks like you lost the trade. Like I traded Mike Evans for, I traded Tyler Lockett for Mike Evans week one before week one. How do you think I felt after week one when Tyler Lockett went off, Mike Evans disappeared? Didn't feel great. Okay, how do you think I feel now when Tyler Lockett has just goose egg and Mike Evans put up back-to-back supernova games? Okay, like, so who's taking the victory laps now? Like, it's too, it's, there's too much of a sample size with the weekly game that is fantasy football to be like, oh, well, this is now definitive. Like, I know all of this. We've literally played three games, folks. Like, come on. It's a long season. A lot, a lot of things can happen. Like, winners now can become losers by the end of the year. So let's just all take everything in fluidity, take it all in stride, play Robbie Anderson. I also do like Terrace Marshall as well. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him being involved again if you want to. I think it really works perfectly with, you know, I like Dak Prescott. So if you're going to stack this Dallas Cowboys offense, Robbie Anderson getting off of DJ Moore, who's actually really popular when it comes to the roster projections, which I think is kind of interesting because, you know, people just aren't buying into digs as being a legitimate cornerback. And it's when people ignore like obvious cornerback receiver matchups that could potentially hinder DJ Moore's production. I'm like, yeah, like I won't play more if he's above 15%, especially because Moore just like doesn't catch touchdowns. Like, like he just, his, it's one of his things. Like, so I don't think you're going to get burned by more. Okay. Could he get, you know, over hundred receiving yards? Yeah. But him catching two touchdowns probably isn't his range of outcomes realistically. Diggs uh, has been on and off shadowing. He did track Keenan Allen in week two. I would kind of expect him to track DJ Moore. He didn't do it with Devontae Smith last week. But to your point, you could t- still tell the Cowboys were making sure that he was the guy most uh, to be concerned with. So love all those points. Let's talk a little about this Falcons passing game. You have Calvin Ridley as a uh, tournament receiver to be looking at. And I think Kyle Pitts is the GPP tight end to go for. I get it. Matt Ryan has not looked good. But Unlike, you know, he has not, Kevin uh, Cole and I were talking about this in our last pod, like Ben Roethlisberger is by far the dustiest and watch quarterback right now. Matt Ryan hasn't looked good, but I don't think he's been big Ben level best. Some bad decisions here, a lot of check downs there, but I'm not willing to completely write off the top two talents in this offense just yet, particularly against the Washington defense that, man, last two weeks against the Bills and Giants, they've really shown zero ability to stop these passing games. And even in week one, we had Keenan Allen and Mike Williams putting up numbers, you know, ill-time Justin Herbert interception here kind of prevents them from putting up more points. But I just think that Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley, man, these are guys that should be getting double-digit targets more weeks than not. And I understand it hasn't worked out that well the first three weeks but talk about no get get right spot everyone's off pits at the same price point or i guess he was he might have started the year in the 4k which is even crazier to think about but he's still only five thousand dollars man like if you could tell if you could just go back to preseason and make people like set dfs lineups for week four everybody would be all over kyle pitts but we're not 
because he didn't get a target until like 50 minutes into last week. But then once he did start getting targeted, help Washington go ahead and or help Atlanta come back and win the game. So Cal Pitts, Calvin Ridley, this might be the week that both of them, Andrew, finally get their fantasy managers with a smile on their face. Yeah, it should. Everything is there. It's a concentrated target share and passing tree between Ridley and Pitts. It's really who Matt Ryan's going to. I know my guy, Olimide Zacchaeus, was productive last week, but I don't expect him to necessarily be a huge factor moving forward. The matchup is there. Washington has been really bad against wide receivers, specifically second most fantasy points allowed to the position through the first three weeks of the season. And Calvin Ridley, look, 19.9 expected fantasy points per game, ranks fourth amongst all wide receivers. Like the usage is there. The air yards are there. The targets are there for Ridley. And we know Ridley is good. Like this is not a... Oh, I'm really trying to chase, you know, Denzel Mims air yards from last year. That's not this, that's not the type of situation. We know Calvin Ridley is a elite wide receiver talent. And I still have him as a top five receiver in the rankings because I believe that this is a spot where we're going to see a Calvin Ridley eruption game. And he's at seven percent in terms of, of roster ship. So again, these tournaments are so predicated on you hitting on these wide receivers in the you know six thousand plus salary range where they can score 30 40 points because it's just so much easier for receivers to get there than it is for running backs and it's harder to pinpoint which receivers there are because we can easily easier project running back volume versus wide receiver and tight end volume so i'm all about you know going and adding you know a ridley or a pitts to my lineup to try to shoot for the moon also, Russell Gage still not practicing with that ankle injury, a.k.a. more slot snaps for Kyle Pitts. Absolutely love to see it. Talk a little tight end now. If you can get up to Travis Kelsey, 8,100, always feel good about it. We got Kittle, 5,900, Hawkinson, 5,800, Andrews, 5,300 as the Mount Rushmore of highest priced tight ends this week. But, Andrew, we finally have, you know, I know you have a sub-3K tight end you want to try to talk up, which I don't know if I agree with that guy, but there are several options in the 3K range that I think you can get behind. Dawson Knox playing a near-every-down role. You had a great stat on your Twitter, at Andrew Erickson underscore uh, this week about his routes, you know, per dropback. I think it was 78%. It's right there with the rest of the elite tight ends that we hope for. Buffalo, over the past years, has used kind of tight ends by committee, and, like, Dawson wasn't always getting this full-time role. He is now, and everything nice I said about Josh Allen, Diggs, and the rest of the guys also apply to Knox. So I like that call. I would say out of the rest of this group, I'm most inclined to go with Gerald Everett, just 3,200. His usage is going in the right direction. It sounds like Tyler Lockett is going to be good to go this week. We need to continue to monitor the injury report. I know he came back and played last week, but I don't know. Adrenaline's a hell of a drug. But what we got to remember with Lockett is like he had that it was like a lacerated kidney, some ridiculous injury a couple of years ago that he played through. He was playing 80, 90% snaps, but after the game, he didn't do anything for weeks on end. Like the Seahawks came out and specifically stated, like we've caught, like we basically decided not to feed him the ball, even though he's out there using him as a distraction because he's not hundred percent. So if that happens, Dwayne Eskridge, Concussion, we'll see if he can make it out of the protocol. I don't think Freddie Swain is just going to be getting fed all these extra targets. I think it could be Gerald Everett emerges as the number two in Seattle in a game against the 49ers where, hey, I have seen, you know, weirder shootouts come out of nowhere. So for me, Dawson Knox, Gerald Everett, those are kind of my favorite lower price guys. Okay, Andrew, here's here's your floor, man. Sell us on Will Disley. Well, Gerald Everett got put on the COVID list. You know no. that, right? Yeah. Well, now I do. Okay, well, yeah, the last to play that. Well, that's literally the idea behind Will Disley. Uh, well, yeah. that makes a lot more sense, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> wow. 
yeah, I saw that come up. Uh, that popped up on my timeline earlier today. And yeah, that's the only reason why I even have Will Disley in here at all is because that means he should take over primary tight end duties. They split tight end one duties in week one. They're pretty even in terms of routes from what we've seen. Gerald Everett kind of t- pull away over the last two weeks, but now with the chance that he completely misses this game, which I would probably guess he's going to based on the fact we saw Antonio Brown get placed on the COVID list midweek and he did not play last week. Kind of seems like it's the standard protocol where if you're placed on the list in the middle of the week that you're not going to play in the upcoming game. So that's why I like Will Disley. Again, Everett was up to 77% routes run rate per dropback, which was 11th in the NFL in week three at the tight end position. So he was seeing very similar usage to these top tier tight ends. He's not out there blocking. He is out there running routes and Will Disley's 2.6K. And it would be one thing if I was, you know, touting quote unquote, a random tight end that's just like, oh, like he's like a new starter. Like we've seen Will Disley be productive as a starting tight end with Russell Wilson before like he was literally a top five tight end in 2019 when he was a starter in the Seahawks offense before he got hurt for I believe it was like five weeks of the season so I I don't think it's nearly as like galaxy brain as a play as people might initially think because he's a backup tight end but he's been a starter before and he's been productive with Russell Wilson in the past and he's he's so cheap at 2.6k you get exposure to Russell you get exposure to a Russell Wilson pass catcher like that's all you can really want when you're looking for tight ends this cheap, it's kind of the same basis on going after Dawson Knox, where he's attached to Josh Allen. Like you have touchdown equity based on the quarterback and you have just as much touchdown equity. I would bet also when you're attached to a guy like Russell Wilson. So I I think Will Disley makes a lot of sense playing in a game that we could see have a lot of points scored in it between the Seahawks and the 49ers. So I I like Disley. So Everett, I can't get confirmation from a couple people on Twitter, they think he's vaccinated. Likely assumption, given the team only had one holdout at start of camp. We'll see. Yes, Will Disley makes a million times more sense now that that has been brought <laughs> to my attention. And it's a good example why the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast every Friday afternoon goes through all the injury notes so we make these mistakes on Thursday instead of on Sunday when it actually comes time to check the rosters. So great stuff. Check out uh, you know Mario Pilato's injury article on PFF.com. Andrew provides some good fantasy analysis in there. We'll get you on guys like Will Disley when, you know, some people like myself that haven't had a chance to go through every injury report yet end up looking like an idiot hyping up someone on the COVID list, but we will watch the film slash injury reports and get better in the future. I do. Andrew, I do want to hit on, I just want to hit on one more tight end. I, I love these, you know, dirt cheap tight ends. I just, you know, it's like crack to me. So Cole Komet <laughs> did pretty much did nothing last week. Uh, he had four targets again, nothing, nothing in this bears offense work, but it seems like we're we're into buying back on the Chicago Bears against the Lions because it's basically every team's bounce back spot. So the thing about Komet was the usage was really, really encouraging. 85% routes run per dropback rate, which was fourth highest among all tight ends last week. So he was legit seeing Travis Kelsey-esque usage at the tight end position. We know Cole Komet's super athletic. We know he has a ton of upside. And Detroit has just been god-awful against tight ends. Allowed the, the league's second highest passer rating on targets to tight ends this season. So... Again, if this Disley thing doesn't work out where, okay, if Gerald ever ends up playing, you have to go back up. You're trying to salvage as much salary as possible. Cole Komet at 3K, I think can actually deliver a worthwhile performance um, in a Bears bounce back spot against the Lions. I saw you listed Chris Herndon. Are you just trying to hurt me or? 
Well, it's it's because it's because Conklin is is on the injury report. So again, he kind of. But again, if if it's between Con- Herndon and Disley, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Disley. <laughs> okay, so it, it was just to hurt me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> All right. Always important to keep an eye on those injury notes, Andrew. Quickly on defense, I agree. The Lions at 2200 make a lot of sense. Pretty, you know, we've talked up all the Bears guys. I definitely think there's a chance for a bounce back, but just in terms of this week's cheapest option, I mean, if assuming it's Fields under center, he just is the type of quarterback. You know, same thing with Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, some of these guys. When you hold the ball as long as he does, you open yourself up to sacks, fumble here, fumble there. And again, just looking at the rest of the defenses, you have to get all the way up to Indy. Maybe at 2,700, I don't feel that much better about them. Like, you got to start getting the 3K range to find someone cheaper. So I'm fine going to the Lions that means I can get Derrick Henry. So I think you nailed that. Let's talk your favorite stack, though. I see you have uh, some love for the Cowboys, Panthers, Dak, Cooper, Lamb. Who do you want to bring it back with you? It's probably, it's probably going to be Robbie Anderson. This, yeah. this seems like the spot for him to have a bounce back game, you know, have his best game of the year in week four. You know, he did have that one touchdown catch in, in week one. So we know the explosive upsides there and people are writing him off for the most part. And I, you know, I'm, I have not been high on him at all it's coming into the year and so far through the season, but I will recognize all the factors that are working in his favor now. You know, you didn't mention they also don't have Dan Arnold anymore. So are we going to see them run more 11 personnel? So we're going to see more wide receivers on the field and less tight end. So again, and just another thing that's working in Robbie Anderson's favor. Again, you know, this is why we do the research. Which is why we put in the work. We find all the details about why Robbie Anderson is a good play this week. And if it doesn't work out, then okay, well, we trusted the process. <laughs> like everything was saying he was going to be a good play. And obviously things can change. There's a lot of variance in football, but if you're not going to look at all the factors that are pointing to Robbie Anderson being a great option this week, then it's like, well, you might as well just like, just guess and, and pick whoever you want because of, you know, their profile picture or whatever. So I, uh, yes, Robbie Anderson would be my bring back in a Dallas stack with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper and CD lamb. I know Dan Arnold was someone that you would slide into our conversations over the summer preview and stuff. This trade, the Jaguars might actually be best case for him, man. If he can get that O'Shaughnessy 80% snap roll. Now we're actually talking. I mean, yeah, like, it's weird because if you look at <laughs> like some of the most productive Jaguars players, it's been just a different tight end every single week in the offense has been, but it was like Luke Farrell, uh, Jacob Hollister, like actually had like a decent target share. It's, it's pretty crazy of how urban Meyer has been able to like use these tight ends. And it's like to think, man, the only they had just like gotten Tebow to like be a legit thing. Like maybe we would have actually been able to do something in fantasy football, but alas, they now have their new version in Dan Arnold too. It's going to be interesting to see, or, you know, how he has played. You know, now that they've already played, see how much he does in that Thursday night game. Urban Meyer, the one nice thing we can say is he's given us some usable, cheap DFS tight ends. Gotta, gotta, <laughs> gotta love you, Herb. Week three of football is in the books, everyone. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action pack week, DraftKings has given new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Again, new customers, a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets. When you place a $1 bet in any football game, promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wage or one per customer. Restriction supply. See jacklings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WHIP-IT. Also want to note the fantasy PFF fantasy football podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com. Andrew, last week before this, you were like, we want props. Props are a new thing. I want to talk props on the pod. And I said, you know what, man? I'll, I'll let you do it. Let's, let's do it. You're right. Props are good. Not only did you do it, you went two for one, Andrew. You made people money. What do you got in store for them this week? Yeah, and I actually didn't, I didn't feel really great about those props. I feel much better about these ones that I have here. So I have three that you can get over on prizepicks.com. Myself and Ben Brown released an article on Fridays. So you can go check that out to get our best bets. Uh, Prize Picks is really fun. It's really it's more like a fantasy football platform than really a propping, you know, a betting tool. But it's a lot of fun. So my props are the under on DeAndre Hopkins, his receiving yard total. It opened at eighty and a half receiving yards. It's been bet down to seventy eight and a half. And I mean, if you guys have been watching Hopkins, the dude is not is not commanding targets at nearly the same rate that he's ever done historically speaking. Like he's sitting at a seventeen percent target share on the year which is outside the top 50 among all players. Like there are running backs that have higher target shares than DeAndre Hopkins. It's pretty crazy to think about that, but you know, Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury are spreading the ball out and they're not forcing it to DeAndre Hopkins anymore. They're just not. And that's going to hurt his total receiving yards. So, you know, the PFF projections have him at like 58 yards. So it, it's such a vast difference that I feel really confident, especially look at the matchup, they're facing the Rams. Like he didn't go over 60 yards in either of his games last year against the Rams. So I like the under on DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, talked about Corey Davis here on the DFS pod. I like his over. I mean, his rushing, his receiving prop is at like 45 yards. Again, this is a number one wide receiver against one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. He played Denver last week and he had 42 receiving yards. Like he almost hit the over when he played the best defense and the best secondary in the league. So I think he can get an extra 10 yards against a much weaker opponent. So I like Corey Davis on the over. And then we talked about Jonathan Taylor. I like the over on his rushing yards as well. Um, he rushed for 64 yards last week on 11 carry or 10 carries. And his prop is at 64 rushing yards this week against a much weaker run defense. I expect no Marlon Mack anymore. They're done. They're cutting the cord. Jonathan Taylor show in Indianapolis, take the over and play him in DFS and win all the money. Ian, just please don't put him in your chopper. I cannot see another one go down with Jonathan Taylor in it. At least I remember last year, I think Will Fuller like had the hamstring goose egg game when I did it. Like <laughs> it, they were bad. At least, you know, Keenan got to a hundred Claypool was like nine for nineties. God, that clay, everything was going right in that Claypool one, except, uh, Big Ben. So, you know, as I always say, the, the choppers go down, but I just would say if you have a problem with it, let me know Sunday morning, not Sunday at 4 p.m. after <laughs> everything has already been confirmed. But uh, I like all those picks. We talked Taylor over uh, Corey and o Corey over. The crazy thing with Hopkins, man, I know the target totals for PFF compared to Pro Football Reference. Some other sites are a little bit different, but per PFF, Hopkins is fourth on the Cardinals and targets. And even if you want to, you know, use a different site, they have five guys between like 15 and 18 targets. They're spreading it out more, which is fine. They're three and oh, Kyler's playing like a freaking MVP. 
it's great for the real life Cardinals. And this is where Andrew, it gets hilarious in our line of work. When, you know, we say something like this, Deandre Hopkins is fourth in targets and everyone, our fancy community is like, Oh, okay. That's a good note. You know, something to keep in mind with this. Eventually the tweet works its way out of the fancy community <laughs> and into the dreaded football fans, but not into fancy football community. And you get the, Oh my gosh, who cares? They're three and oh, they're spreading the ball around. It's like, I, I know, I know people, this is uh, something completely different. So Hopkins under great receiver, tough matchup and just not getting the target. So he was limited uh, today. It's good to see him at least come back to practice. Uh, you know, last week he didn't practice all week with the ribs issue. Maybe that played into it, but his snaps weren't really different last week as well. So all in on that call. We'll see the bounce back game eventually. I don't think it's uh, going to be this week though. Famous last words. Uh, and they are actually going to be the last words of this podcast, but Andrew, you got a bunch of content over at pff.com. You got your stardom and sit them out buy low, sell high targets, fantasy football rankings, waiver wire targets. My God, you are working hard. Anything else you want to get off your chest before you get out of here? No, I just, Hey, uh, we got the Patriots going against Bill Belichick or ba Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady this weekend. It's going to be a, a crazy game. One for the ages. We're hoping, I'm just hoping it's a close game. As the, as the Patriots stand here, I I know that the Patriots are probably going to get rocked. <laughs> if I'm just being totally honest, it's just, I mean, a motivated Brady is, you know, is one of the scariest things you can ever face. And I get Belichick is, gets a lot of credit for being this really smart defensive mind, but like the will for Brady and the hit, the fact that he looked so angry when they lost that game last week. And now he gets <laughs> a chance to like, a rebuttal against his old team. And it's really the only shot he's ever going to have against playing against Belichick, probably unless they play in the Super Bowl or in two more years or whatever. So yeah, it's going to be a crazy Sunday night game. I hope everyone in the world is watching because it's going to be, and I just, I just hope it's a good game. I, just, I hope it's a good game. I hope, I hope the Patriots can keep it close. <laughs> Shaping up as the cold game. That's the big uh, thing today. Tom Brady apparently has a cold, not COVID, just a cold, God, if that ends up being some extra pat in his back, I just can't take it anymore. For Andrew, I'm Ian. It's been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you always for listening. And until next time, take care, everybody.